0: This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1-7. through The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word. Please be seated. Last, uh, last week, we wrapped up a, an extensive series in the Gospel of Mark. Um, well over, I think, a year and a half it took us to get through Mark uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, we will now begin a series in the book of Proverbs. I'll speak more to how we'll handle the book um, actually during the sermon time. Um, it will be different uh, than Mark in significant ways, so you'll want to pay attention uh, to that. I realize that 90%, I've been thinking recently, and I've been just trying to figure out what my role is as pastor and under-shepherd and uh, someone God is using to plant a church, uh, hopefully. And I realize that 90% of my time is um, in the realm of relationship, in and around the concept of wisdom, that I think 90% of our lives are lived out in this realm that we will call Wisdom—the what the book of Proverbs is all about. Uh, here's the question: uh, Should you work? Well, that's a simple one. If someone comes to me looking for advice, should I work? I just take them to the part of Scripture and the multiple places in Scripture where it says, "If you don't work, you don't eat." Okay, so now, where should I work? Ah, oh, now that takes wisdom. Uh, someone will come to me and they'll say, you know. Um, what, uh, what should I, uh, who should I consider marrying? We have a lot of, uh, of single folks in our congregation morning and night and they'll say, you know, should I get married? Well, there's really one good question. Do you burn with passion? Yes, I do. Yes, you should get married. <laughs> who? Now, ah, oh, <laughs> there's the place of Wisdom. Once someone falls in love and they begin to date and they're engaged and they come to me and they say, okay, where's the line physically? Are we allowed uh, to make love? No. So how do we relate to one another between now and then? Wisdom. Uh, Should we eat? Yes. What and when? Wisdom. Should we drink? Yes. What and when? Wisdom. Should we party and celebrate? Yes. Yes. When and with whom? Wisdom. When you see sin in your neighbor's life and you realize that God has given you an insight into that part of their life because he wants to use you to bring healing and redemption and repentance and faith to that area of that person's life, do you go and confront them? Or do you pray for them? Wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, you know, it's, it, it becomes even even more, more complex, you know, um, disciplining our children. Parents, is it your responsibility to educate and discipline and train your children? Yes. How? Wisdom. This time, should I relieve her from the consequences of her sins because she has seen it, she hates it, she's asked for forgiveness, do I relieve her from it or do I let her feel the consequences of it so she might learn more fully? Wisdom. Where should I send my kids to school? Wisdom. Should I help the poor? Should I help lift this family out of poverty? Absolutely. But how I go about doing it demands incredible wisdom of the understanding of the complexities of poverty and oppression and laziness and sin and all of the dynamics that go into trying to help someone else out of physical uh, poverty. Should we? Sure. How do we? Tons of wisdom. Just this week, should we adopt a child? Family comes to me. Should we, in this state of life, adopt a child? Is the Bible for adoption? Absolutely. It's one of our core doctrines, that God adopts us and makes us co-heirs with Christ. That everything Jesus has, we get when we're united to him by faith. Should we for adoption? Absolutely, we should. Orphanages, if you just think of the history of the orphanage, it is so rich in the history of the church. But who should adopt whom and when? Wisdom. That you could have all the best intentions of the world and your heart could be filled with love and you could know that the Bible says, I want you to be about adoption or education or celebration or whatever it is. And without wisdom, you can shipwreck your life and the lives of other people. I want us to think about the reality that 90% of our lives is lived in this realm, the realm of wisdom. What parent here doesn't want to give their children wisdom? I have five children. Three are girls, and I know that all too soon they will be teenagers, and, and I want them to enter into the teen years with wisdom. Who is that 17-year-old boy? Who is he really? Not as uh, who is he presenting himself to be, but what is he actually? Man, I long for that. I pray for that for my girls, But I want you to know that the church tends to not emphasize wisdom enough. That the church is really good at theology. These are the facts that you need to know. Here's some theory about adoption. And the church is really good about morality, depending on which one you're in. You should do this. Don't do this. Work. Where? I have no idea. But my, my experience in the church growing up, and I realize this is anecdotal, has been that no one taught me wisdom. No one said you're gonna live 90% of your life in this place called wisdom, and you could know a bunch of stuff, and you could be good about a bunch of stuff, but if you don't understand wisdom, your life is going to be filled with folly, and folly is so painful. And so we're gonna give our hearts our minds and our time to the studying of Proverbs over the next however many weeks it takes us to get through. You know that IQ and wisdom, they're not the same, right? We all know that person with the extraordinary IQ, the the education that makes their resume look amazing, and yet because they don't know how to relate to other people, because they don't know how to control their tongue, they don't know how to be patient at work, they have no physical fitness, and they don't take breaks, they don't don't understand rest, this person, this brilliant person with a high IQ, is absolutely foolish. And at the same time, we know a lot of people I think I'm probably, uh, I'm aspiring to be one of them, people with average IQs, but who have wisdom and they make sense of their lives, their lives are blessed, and the people around them experience that blessing. We call that street smarts. In essence, that's what uh, this series is going to be all about. I, my goal, I have a couple of them for you this morning. The first is to create an urgency in you to want wisdom. I'm gonna define it for us in a little bit. We're gonna talk more about it. But I want Proverbs 4, 5 to be our prayer. Get wisdom, it's the word for acquire. Get insight, do not forsake her. She will keep you, love her, she will guard you. And in chapter eight, verse 10, wisdom is calling out and she is saying, take my instruction instead of silver. Wisdom calls out and says, take my knowledge rather than choice gold. Verse 11, for wisdom is better than jewels. He goes, silver, gold, jewels. And then listen to this. I have got your attention and I've given the good introduction I want to give if you agree with this next statement. All that you may desire cannot compare with wisdom. The scriptures teach that if we have wisdom, it doesn't matter what circumstances, silver, gold, jewels, anything you can desire. If we have wisdom, we can go and live an abundant, flourishing life in any circumstance, but that if we're fools, we can enter into any circumstance and create chaos. This is what we will spend our time doing in this series. This morning, um, it's the introductory uh, sermon on the series, so this is the outline An introduction to wisdom, and I'll quickly define what we've already hinted at. An introduction to Proverbs, uh, the book as a whole and the way we'll handle it as a series. And an introduction to the beginning. Uh, This will be the most practical place. um, We'll get started in our pursuit of wisdom in point three. I say introduction because... um, Obviously, I can't say everything about these topics. That's the way an introduction works. So I will leave certain things out. Maybe more important things will get left out than what is said. But remember, we're gonna spend weeks. And every week, I guarantee you that wisdom, Proverbs, and the beginning will come up over and over. Let's pray. In James, you say, if any of us lacks wisdom, that we should ask you and that you give it generously. We are here Seeking wisdom. We are here to purchase and buy up and use the resources we have to become wise. Great Father, we thank you that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank you that Christ is wisdom for us. And we thank you also that Christ is wisdom in us, that by the indwelling spirit, the spirit of wisdom, we are increasingly made wise Would you use your word? Would you use your people and their gifts? Would you use by all means the spirit of wisdom to transform us this morning? your name we pray, amen. If you'll get your uh, worship folder out, the insert, if you have your own Bible open, that's great. We're gonna begin to look through chapter 1, verses one through seven of the book of Proverbs, an introduction uh, to wisdom. If you kind of just glance down through verses uh, one through seven, you're gonna see a lot, a lot of synonyms, a lot of different words given uh, by Solomon or the editor of this book um, on uh, synonyms for wisdom. You know, there's wisdom, instruction, insight, wise dealing, prudence, knowledge, discretion. As you go through the book as a whole, you're going to continue to see these same words over and over and over again. And what the, the, the writer is, is giving us the hint to is that, is that these words, these words, these synonyms are not direct synonyms for wisdom, but that they are perspectives on wisdom. So if wisdom is the reality in the middle, these words give different insights and different definition into them. Another commentary said that they are like a, a rainbow that they're different colors that bleed into one another and they show forth something different about wisdom, but they in themselves do not describe wisdom. They, in fact, describe wisdom when grouped together. So I wanna give us a very quick definition of wisdom this morning before we move on from verses one through seven using these words that will appear over and over and over. Wisdom is to see, to plan, to lead, and to succeed. Wisdom is to see clearly to plan meticulously, to lead humbly, and to succeed biblically. First, uh, to see clearly. Uh, At the end of verse two, there's a word there for insight, to understand words of insight. Uh, This is a word that has to do with discerning. This is a word that has to do with interpreting what is in front of you and discerning what is happening in front of you. This is a word that talks about seeing things as they really are, not what's presented to you. So the first step in wisdom, when you come up to that place in life where you're not sure what to do, the first step of wisdom is to see clearly what is actually in front of you. It's called insight. The second step of wisdom is to plan meticulously. If you look in verse four, uh, in the first line of that stanza, and in the second, it talks about prudence and discretion. Discretion. Uh, prudence is the uh, the ability um, uh, to come up with a tactic or a strategy among many strategies, the one that will be the best at attaining your goals. So prudence and discretion are this idea of planning. I see what is in front of me. I will consider multiple ways of walking through the suffering, through this opportunity, uh, through this stage of life. And as I see it, I will pick the right plan to walk through it. That's planning meticulously, prudence and discretion. The third step is to lead humbly. The wise person takes other people with them through whatever they're going through. Do you see this word for guidance? Uh, guidance is at the end of verse five, the one who understands, obtain guidance. This word literally means to know the ropes. It's, it's a nautical term um, having to do with ships and guiding ships. And with the simple pull or release of a rope, you can take a ship and all the people on it down the course you have designed. Lastly, wisdom is to succeed biblically. This word uh, that's translated wise uh, dealings at the end of verse three literally just means to be successful. It's talking about the ability to see something, to see it for what it is, to plan how you're gonna go through it, to take people with you through it. That's what righteousness, justice, and equity is all about. And get to the other side of what you planned. As an introduction, that is what wisdom is. That's what we're after. It is my goal to create uh, a church full of people who are wise. When, when I look at you, I, I see small group leaders. I, I see church planters. I see counselors. I see the vision getting worked out. And what I want is not 90% of my time in the pastoring of the people in wisdom, but our time being given to the pastoring of the people. I want us to be able to do this. I have two great theologians that I will quote in summarizing my introduction to wisdom. J.I. Packer on the one hand and Ray Cortez on the other. Uh, you'll remember Ray. He's the guy that came and baptized Liam for us several months ago. And please don't tell him I put him on par with J.I. Packer. This is partly a joke, but you did not laugh. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, when you do the tape, could you cut that laugh in after the joke, wherever you are? Could you do that for me? My mom will like that. J.I. Packer says this, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Ray Cortez tells the following story as a summary of wisdom. Uh, four men go hunting, and uh, we'll call them Bob, Dan, Tom, and Jack. And they go on a hunting trip, and they go to a cabin with just two rooms. And when they get there, they see uh, that in the two rooms, there's only a king-size bed in each. And so each will literally bunk with the other. And so coming into this trip, they know that, that Bob is quite the famous snorer, and, uh, and their little community uh, knows about this. Literally, the neighbors of Bob can hear him at night when he snores. And so they all know they're going to have to take a turn sleeping in the king bed uh, with Bob. So night number one, Dan takes his turn. The next morning, Dan comes out. He looks frustrated. He looks tired. He looks confused. Uh, They say, how did you do? Bob's like, "I, I did great. Dan says, I didn't sleep a wink. That guy makes noises I've never heard before. Then Tom takes his turn on night number two, thinking we've been here a couple days. I've been hunting, I'm tired. I shouldn't have any trouble whatsoever. In fact, he tells the rest of the gang that he will do well uh, with Bob. And so the next morning uh, uh, <laughs> he comes out and, and uh, Tom uh, looks like he was holding onto a light pole through the, the greatest hurricane that ever hit uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And he just looks beat down and weathered like he was in a wind tunnel all night long. And he said, it's as if I was sleeping right next to the train tracks all night long. And Jack goes in, it's his turn, night three. And the next morning, Jack comes out, he's refreshed. He's got a skip in his step. He's cooking breakfast for the rest of the crew. And Bob, on the other hand, comes out. And this time it's Bob's turn uh, to look like the one who didn't sleep all night long. And so Dan and Tom, they, they look to Jack and they say, how in the world did you do that? What did you do? He said, well, Once I got into my pajamas, the ones my mom gave me at birth, I walked over to Bob's side of the bed, and I tucked him in for the night. I felt like it was the most loving thing to do. I kissed him on the forehead, and I patted him on the behind, and I told him, I've really been looking forward to my turn for three days. Bob didn't sleep a wink that (laughs) night. So you can take Packer with all those words, or you can take Cortese, that's wisdom. It's the ability to look at a situation that has been unclear or hazardous to other people. It's the understanding of the way things are, not as how they've been presented to you. It's the ability to make a plan that will work. It's the execution of that plan, and finally, it's the desired outcome. In this case, rest. Rest. That is a very brief introduction to wisdom. We will continue to unpack those ideas um, in the weeks to come. Secondly, an introduction uh, to Proverbs. An introduction to Proverbs. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, this is the introduction to the entire book the Proverbs of Solomon, uh, the son of David, the king of Israel. And he says that these Proverbs have been collected by him, the third king of Israel. He says, I've collected these and this is my goal. This is the purpose for their collection. This is why they're here. So that you can know wisdom and instruction. That you can understand words of insight. And so you can receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. These Proverbs have been collected to give prudence, to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth etc cetera, etc cetera. in studying this book over uh, the coming weeks it will be helpful to us as we try and gain wisdom as through studying this book it, it'll be helpful to us to know who it is written to and how it is to be read who it is written to uh, i won't spend a lot of time on this because i'm already behind and when I said I would be done. But if you look through our text, there's four groups of people um, that are mentioned in the text. And these four groups of people are going to show up over and over and over throughout the text. Uh, first, if you go, um, well, I'll just, I'll start um, on the far left or right, depending on which side you are. Verse seven talks about the fools. There are fools that will be addressed um, in this book. This is the fool. They, they think they know it all, they're always willing to tell you about it. They're arrogant and they're, pers- they're persistent. Because they think they know it all, even if their advice comes back and does not work, they're not teachable. Uh, the, fool, uh, the fool's life never works out. But they won't listen to you when you try and explain uh, why. They're dull. They're obstinate. They're literally, the word means thick-headed. They have no patience to learn wisdom. They reject the fear of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 29. They think that they are God. As we read through the book of Proverbs, we're gonna see that this first category of people addressed by the book is the fool and they're a menace to society. They're dangerous to the simple and the youth, people will talk about in a moment. They cause grief to those who love them, parents or siblings or children. Now, the book primarily does not hold out much hope at all for the fool, as our text indicates. You'll see that every other category, whether it be the youth, the simple, or the wise, the book holds out hope that they can learn, that they can grow in wisdom, that they can become uh, people who live their lives and and help to live the lives around them uh, with more clarity and wisdom. By and large, the Proverbs speaks of the fool simply as the one who despises wisdom and instruction. Very little hope at all. But I would say there are a few places and we will look at them in time where the fool is called to turn and to learn and to become wise, therefore telling us that we should not give up in loving a fool. On the other end of the spectrum, if the fool is here, the book has another category that they call the wise and the wise one is the opposite of the fool. Verse five says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the wise one who understands obtain Guidance. The wise one, as we look through the book of Proverbs, is the one who loves the Lord. They love to listen. They're incredibly teachable. They're always seeking out more truth, more teaching, more instruction. The book will even tell us that the wise loves reproof. They love to be corrected in discipline. They don't see themselves as wise in their own eyes, and they always know that they have something to learn. The book of Proverbs will say that the only thing more dangerous than a fool is is a wise man. Chapter 26, verse 12. The wise man who thinks he is wise in his own eyes. Chapter 26. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. We'll talk about in time how even King Solomon, the one who collected these Proverbs, who was arguably, except for Jesus, the wisest man to ever live. We'll talk about how he became the greatest fool at the end of his life, teaching us that the wisdom we had yesterday was too soon and the wisdom that we could gain tomorrow is too late. That There's wisdom to be gained today. Yeah, if these are the two uh, ends of the spectrum of who the Proverbs are written to, the fool on this side and the wise on this side, that in the middle there are these two categories, the simple and the youth. We'll, we'll tackle the youth first, verse 4b, knowledge and discretion to the youth. This term is not used in the way we use it, like youth group, it's like 13 to 18. This term can be anything from an infant. In the biblical literature, you'll even see 30 and 40-year-old men being called used. It's that period of time before they become the elder. It's that period of time before they become the one who leads um, with authority. Uh, This is, uh, I think, particularly applicable to our congregation, especially the service that we'll meet tonight for worship. I think there's a lot of us They're in this category of the youth. The youth is the primary target of the book of Proverbs. It's saying to the youth, don't go this direction, the way of the fool. Your life will be shipwrecked. Go this direction, the way of the wise, and your life will be abundant and blessed regardless of the circumstances. But also there's a fourth category. Uh, Verse 4a says, give prudence to the simple. Uh, The New American Standard calls this person naive, The simple person um, is easily led, very gullible, and quite silly. The simple person is that person that depending on which group they're hanging out with, they will follow along. The simple person, when with the fools, will act like a fool. The simple person, when with the wise, will act with wisdom. The simple person is not really committed to wisdom or to folly. He just likes to follow along. Really, in a lot of ways, in addition to the youth being the primary audience, the simple is sort of a youth um, when it comes to wisdom. And chapter nine tells us that Jesus and Satan, or wisdom and folly, will fight over the simple in order to have them. And so, really, the one who is simple is in considerable peril. Now, how should the Proverbs uh, be read? What does the book expect us uh, to do? Uh, This is how we, this is, I'm going to try and set up some thoughts on how I'm going to handle this series. If you start in verse eight and go through the rest of the book, the writer of the book of Proverbs expects you and I to read it all the way through in community. The writer of the Proverbs expects you and I to read it all the way through in community, arguing, reflecting, debating, considering, thinking. In fact, the the author, the editor of, uh, of the Proverbs and the different authors who contribute Proverbs, they expect for us to consider this book in the company of fools and in the company of the wise. That we should be with those who are ahead of us age and wisdom, and those who are behind us, age and wisdom. It expects us to walk through the entire book in community. It expects us to come across a truth on a particular topic and to know that that verse, that piece of poetry, that truth is not all that can be said about that topic. It expects us to keep moving and finding other truths or other perspectives on that same topic. In other words, the book of Proverbs is not this place where you go and you pull out um, one verse, and you think that that's all that can be said about a topic, and you start to live your life by it. It's not a, a collection of fortune cookies. The desire is for us to start at the beginning and walk all the way through it, and we will begin to learn things about certain topics, very practical topics, how to use our tongue, how to relate to one another, where we should work, what's going on with our heart, how to grant forgiveness, how to worship. I mean, it's amazing how practical the book of Proverbs is. But no one proverb gives the totality of what we need to know about a topic. The Proverbs, when you take them out of context like that, um, will when you take something that's, that's generally true and forget about the exceptions, you become like the wise people in the book of Job. They're the ones who have some biblical truth, but they don't have all of it. And so what they say to Job is sort of true, but not really. And it ends up being quite damaging. So for example, if you were to go and you were to read this, uh, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old class, he will not depart from it. And if you take that as your only advice from the book of Proverbs on parenting, then you've taken it out of context because then you're going to ignore the ones in chapter 16 that talk about the child that was trained well and rebels. And so if you take just that one truth and say, here's my fortune cookie, this is the one I'm going to use, you're going to look at people whose kids that have rebelled and you're going to say, well, it says right here, if you would have trained them up in the way they should go, they would not depart from it. At the same time, when you see someone who's advancing the kingdom and God's using them and they seem wise, you're going to be like, those parents, their parents, they must be absolutely amazing. I want to go have them mentor me. Until you realize, and all of us know this, if we were to stop and think about it, we can all come up with those people, a lot of them in this room, whose parents are not believers, whose parents are incredibly foolish. And yet God has decided to save them, to give them the spirit of wisdom, to teach them in other ways. And so is it generally true, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he'll not depart from it? Absolutely. But if it's taken as the only truth from Proverbs on parenting, we get in trouble. At the other side of the spectrum, we all know Ted Bundy. For all intents and purposes, his parents were amazing. If you ask him, his parents, anyone that lived in community with them, they would all say, we don't have any idea what happened to him because these guys are amazing. Their other children are fantastic. And if you were to ask Ted Bundy, he would say, it's not my parents' fault. I rebelled. I did not do what they said. And so what we will do in this series is is we will take an idea and I will, instead of in the past where we would have gone next week, verse eight through whatever, I will take the different ideas in the books of Proverbs, that thread that will run through the whole thing, and I will pick it out and let us look at it. And I will think about a topic from all the different angles in the book of Proverbs. I've already rattled off a bunch of what they may be. This is halfway there. This is not the optimal way to read or study the Proverbs. The optimal way is to hear something about the tongue and then hear something about parenting and then hear something about forgiveness and then hear something about rebellion. And then, so in other words, and then all of a sudden the tongue comes up again and parenting comes up again. The book of Proverbs is written in a way to where we don't just think of it as multiple Proverbs on this one place, uh, this one topic, but we realize that it's interwoven with the rest. I would illustrate it this way. Um, For me to grow in my parenting, it's not enough for me to understand the Proverbs on parenting. I've got to understand the Proverbs on anger. And for me to understand the Proverbs on how to love my wife well, I've got to understand the Proverbs on what God calls beautiful. And for me to understand um, what the Bible says uh, about working hard, I've got to understand what it says about what you eat and what you drink. And so we can't take anyone out, nor is it going to be good in the long run to take all of them out on one topic. We have to see them as a fabric being woven together. And our pursuit of that in community is what will make us wise. Uh, Just as we look to the future, um, if you're uh, at all familiar with what we do here, we have something called City Bible Reading in City Bible reading, is this initiative where we're all trying to read the scriptures together in the morning privately and then moving out into our day to talk about it with others, realizing that God's not going to give me everything there is to know about this text, that I'm going to need others to help me understand it, and they will need me so that they can understand it. And the way we do the New Testament is we don't start in Matthew and end in Revelation. We take it and we do Luke and then Acts, the most historical ones. And then we start to go through different authors and put them together. And so what we'll do in January when we start the Old Testament track over again, we will keep in mind this reality that the Proverbs should be walked through in community over time. Because we just read Proverbs a couple months ago, 30 chapters, it was wonderful, very fruitful in my life, but now I got to the end of it, I'm like, whoa, I feel like I need some more Proverbs. And so we will begin to try and craft that schedule so that we're in them more often. Now, last thing I have to say, and I have about five minutes to do it. I wish I had more. An introduction uh, to the beginning. Chapter one, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge is the closest synonym to wisdom in the book. In fact, the two will be used interchangeably as it does, as they are in this verse. In the first line of the poem, uh, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in the second line, he says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. In fact, in chapter nine, verse 10, this exact same uh, verse uh, comes out again. In fact, the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge comes up some 20 times in the book of Proverbs. We will come to it again. And usually when it comes up, the word wisdom, is used. So if I've created any sense of urgency for us that we want to be people of wisdom, if I've begun to define what wisdom is, and if I've encouraged you at all to come back next week as we start this trek through the book of Proverbs, I want to start us now with what is the foundation of wisdom? Uh, Just very, very briefly, this word um, can mean the source of wisdom. It can mean the foundation of wisdom. It can mean the first and controlling principle of wisdom. It is this, the fear of the Lord. I can't possibly even begin to start talking about uh, everything there is to be said about the fear and everything there is to be said about the Lord. But biblically, if you look at the whole scriptures, this fear, is not a terror. It's not being scared about judgment. First John four eighteen says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This fear, and we're gonna talk a lot about this, it's worship, it's awe, it's reverence, it's relationship, it's respect, it's submission, it's surrendering to the Lord. And I can't say everything there is to say about the Lord, Yahweh, God's covenant God, as it says here, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But in time, we'll talk about how Jesus is our wisdom. We'll talk about how he is the Lord Jesus Christ, that in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But here's the big idea for today. This is what I want you to chew on this week. If I've lost you, it's not your fault, it's mine. Hard sermon, fast sermon, too much information. Come back with me right now. The Bible says that there's a fool, there's a wise person. That the wise person stands on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. The fool stands on the foundation of the fear of man. That if you want to begin this week to do the first step of becoming wise, it is not reading the book. It is not memorizing any one proverb. It is beginning to ask yourself the question, where in my life am I driven by the fear of man? Because that will always produce folly. Said another way, the beginning of wisdom is believing the gospel. Because what are we out there afraid of man for? What are we out there trying to get them to say to us? What are we out there trying to achieve? It's their approval. It's their blessing. It's getting them to say, good done. well done, my good and faithful servant. We're out there trying to have someone define us, someone approve of us, someone that we can honor and cherish, someone that will smile on us and benedict us. And the book of Proverbs is gonna tell us over and over and over again, to the extent that you live your life trying to get man's approval, fearing man, you will walk into folly over and over and over. Think about the young woman asking, so we're in love, but we're not married yet. Why does she act foolishly? Because she does not want to be left by the one who says he loves her. Why do we spend too much on our credit cards? Why do we buy the house we can't afford? Why do we buy the car and go in debt? Why do we do all those things? Those are folly in the book of Proverbs. You know why? We want man to approve of us. We want to be in style. We want to have the latest model. We want to have all the bells and whistles of this life. The book of Proverbs says, to the extent that the foundation of your life is the fear of man, you will walk into folly over and over. At the same time, to the extent that you found your life on the fear of the Lord in the gospel, you will make wise decisions. It's like the guy trying to decide what career he's gonna be in. His dad's a famous lawyer. His dad's told him since he was a little boy, you're gonna be a lawyer. And he's in my office saying, I don't wanna be a lawyer. I don't know how to be a lawyer. I make good grades. I went to a good school. I could be a lawyer, but I'm not supposed to be a lawyer. I'm supposed to be a teacher. Foolishness, based on the fear of man, is being a lawyer. Wisdom, based on the fear of the Lord, having your righteousness in Christ, being approved of by God, knowing who you are because of the love of God, you become a teacher. I have a man um, in the past in another city trying to decide who he should date and marry. Foolishness says, when you walk into a room, the first thing you think about with women is how they look, not who they They are. The world says beauty is like this. And so we have these men that will walk into a room and disqualify 20 amazing spouses because of what they perceive to be beauty based on foolishness. Because why? They want the world to approve of who they've married, they want their older brother to think they did a good job in selecting their mate. On the other side, if you don't care what people think about you and you see that God says, um, I don't care about outward appearance, I look at the heart. You're like, man, he's been really good to me in the gospel. He's been really good to me in Jesus. He's been amazing to me in the church. Maybe I'll start to believe him here. The fruit of that would be marrying someone who you're joyful and content and satisfied with and someone who, with you, advances the kingdom in powerful ways. Approval of man, foolishness. Fear of the Lord through the gospel, wisdom. Do you understand what the gospel tells us? That Jesus is our righteousness and our wisdom. We don't have to go and try and get him to approve of us. We already have it. And to the extent we believe that, receive that, and live out of that, we'll be freed up from foolishness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am convinced that there is a lot that I just said that needs to be uh, cut and put on the floor. But I would have to guess that something of what I just said needs to get deep into our hearts. And so I pray now that you would take whatever is from you and you would plant it deep into the hearts and the lives of the men and women here. And that you would cause them to gnaw on it and to chew on it and to reflect on it and to begin to believe you in it. Would you take whatever folly has come out of my mouth, would you take it and cause it to go away? If there's any wisdom from you, the spirit of wisdom, would you apply it? In your name we pray, amen.